Hi there guys and welcome to the Back in Shape podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking all about the sacroiliac joint. We're gonna talk about how it works. We're gonna talk a little bit about the anatomy and how it can be strained asymmetrically. And then we're gonna kind of go into a little bit about what we can do about this because it is fundamentally a very misunderstood region of the body. And if you've ever had a diagnosis of sacroiliac joint discomfort or pain or dysfunction, it can be something that really gets you focused in on an area that, to be completely honest with you, you have very, very, little control over and that should be a good thing because it also highlights that there are other areas that we can work on hopefully by the end of this podcast you'll see that that we can really be much more effective at dealing with and move forward in a more productive way so I've got a few notes up on the board just out of screen to make sure that I'm covering everything because there are a few bits and pieces to cover in this particular episode. And as always, if you've got any comments, then you can post those in the comment section below. Or if you're viewing on the website down at the bottom of the page, there's a little comment section too, because there are a few little bits we're gonna talk about today. So anything doesn't quite make sense, please use that comment section there. First and foremost, let's talk about the anatomy because the anatomy and how the sacroiliac joint actually is, is quite important. Now we've got a little spine for those of you that are watching and looking at it from the front, you can see that it makes up an inverted keystone. And what that means is we've got the sacrum here and then these big bones are actually made up of three bones, but it's the iliac or the ilium that is actually interacting with the sacrum to form the sacroiliac joint. These on the, on the one side, we've got the innominate, and on the other side, we've got the same, but I'll just refer to them as the iliacs today, okay? Just to be specific and, and consistent throughout the entirety of the video. So you can see that the sacrum forms like a triangle shape, and then we've got this ring that is completed by the sacrum. And what we've got is the weight of our body on that sacrum into that shape really wedges it in place. And therefore the compression that goes through this region of the spine provides it its stability. And that allows us to effectively transmit force from the hips up through the body into the spine and then vice versa. And we should generally be doing this in a rather symmetrical manner. And we have to know that this sacroiliac joint does not move a lot. It's got an awful lot of ligamentous support. It's a fibrous joint, so kind of like your knuckles, if you joined them together, it's, they, don't, they aren't gonna move much because they kind of slot into one another. And there's a little bit more complexity to the sacroiliac joint, but that's fundamentally it. And it doesn't move a lot in most of us, save a specific circumstance, which is pregnancy. And this is the one particular scenario whereby we could get sort of a primary, um, a primarily sacroiliac joint issue, because as I said, there's a lot of ligaments to support and protect this area and normally hold it really, really steady. In pregnancy, the release of relaxin and other bits and pieces in our body, or well, not mine, but in your body perhaps as you're watching this, um, will cause the lax laxening of those ligaments and that creates more mobility in, as we've just discussed, an area that is really, really important that it is transmitting forces effectively. Too much mobility, creates an issue. And that brings us nicely onto the next topic, which is the role of flexion extension. What is happening as we do these different movements? Now, for, for those of you that don't know or aren't akin with the specific terms, if we talk about gross body flexion, so flexion of the hips and the spine, as we round over forwards, we round our lower back and tuck our knees in towards our chest, that would be flexion. And as we do this, to allow for a greater degree of mobility, what happens is our sacroiliac joints flare out a little bit and allow more movement. They disengage, if you will, relatively speaking. It's not like they pop out of place, like pulling a plug out the wall, but they create a little bit more movement to facilitate that motion going smoothly through the spine. Remember, we have very, very mobile hips that move an awful lot. And relatively speaking, the L5-S1, which is the first junction between the sacrum and the lumbar spine. And for those of you watching, 
that's going to be the first green one after the orange sacrum. Um, there's a lot of difference in the available motion, the lumbar spine compared to the hip. So the sacroiliacs in that particular position flexed, fully rounded over, provide a little bit of a dampener to allow forces to more smoothly transition into the lumbar spine. And then when we think of the extension position or standing up fully erect, upright, shoulders over the hips, over the feet, etc., we're gonna find that actually that joint really locks in place. It provides more stability, less motion. The load of gravity actually sits that keystone in place and holds everything nice and strong, ready to load better. Because typically think about it, you're not really going to be doing too much in the way of requirement for load when our body is rounded up completely that's when we need to have mobility and the functions where we are upright stood fully erect we're going to want to be load bearing and maybe we've got impact because we're running or walking historically speaking and, and, and in modern day circumstances lifting for example we're going to be upright so we want that level of stability we don't want things moving around excessively unnecessarily because that can create trouble as all too many pregnant ladies might well find out as their sacroiliac joints start giving them too much in the way of mobility during those pregnancy months specific parts a little bit more so than others and they suddenly find that actually even when they're standing up everything feels wobbly and unstable so that's very very important for, for us guys unfortunately fortunately we don't have to contend with that peculiarity that that that, that occurs now that's very important that we move on to the next step, or it is very important that we move on to the next step, and that is your control over the sacroiliac joint, because this becomes quite important. If we have, say, a sprained ankle, a sprained wrist, a sprained elbow, shoulder, injured, whatever it is, in whatever capacity that is, we can do something to protect it. We can move certain ways. We can protect, guard that particular injured segment because we have control over it. We can flex our knee. We can bend our finger. All of these joints we have cognitive control over. And I've discussed in previous episodes how we don't have control over the segmental movement of the lumbar spine, but you can round your lower back and you can extend your lower back to a certain degree independently of other regions of the spine. So for example, you can round your lower back without rounding your neck at the same time, and you can move your neck without your lower back moving as well. With the sacroiliac joint, however, and you can try this right now if you want to double check, you cannot move your sacroiliac joint only. It is going to move at the whim of the fact that your hips and your lower back are moving in a direction and it will follow in kind with those. You do not have direct control over it. And this is very, very important to think about when we go forwards, because if we've injured a structure and we have no means of interfacing with it, it, it if we believe that to be the primary issue, it can be quite disorientating or dis, uh, disenfranchising because you feel like you can't do anything about it. How do I do anything to protect my sacroiliac? Short of belts, which do exist, you have sacroiliac belts, which actually provide compression they can immediately provide a degree of relief. However, we have to think about why that is. The reason that is, and this is going off on a rather large tangent, so I might regret this, but we'll find out. We'll see where we're going. A sacroiliac belt is, pre is positioned lower than a lumbar support belt. It's positioned around here. And what that does is that provides compression. Obviously, I can't hold the spine, but we're holding it at the level of the sacrum, so it compresses those sacroiliac joints also termed forced compression. Sometimes you can do this with a patient. You actually brace in on their hips, basically pressing either side of the sacroiliac joint to provide stability. But as we saw earlier, the lumbar spine's position, so when we're flexed over or stood up tall, has that direct implication. And what you often find is those with a flattened lumbar curve, their spine is kind of, even when they're standing up straight, it's stuck in that flexed position, so there's more mobility than there should be. So then when you put a sacroiliac belt on to provide stability, locking it in, 
it feels better. Now, the problem there is if you then think, oh, that sacroiliac belt felt better, you don't bother doing anything about the fact that the lumbar spine is completely awry and meaning that that sacroiliac is, quote unquote, relatively disengaged in a standing position. Therefore, you never take the steps to address the lumbar spine issue because we have a quick fix, so to speak, in the way of wearing a sacroiliac belt. And that leads us to real problems because eventually and inevitably, the lumbar spine will be involved in this issue as we'll see a little bit later on. So what are the three primary ways in which your sacroiliac joint can be influenced? And a lot of times it's one sacroiliac over the other. It's not both. It is going to be one more than the other. Maybe there's degenerative change. Maybe there's a strain and it's always on the one side. Those are generally good cues that there are is or is inflammation in and around the sacroiliac joint that it is always that same side lumbar spine issues they will typically swap left and right not always but they do have the proclivity to do so the first one is scoliosis it's all about the symmetry the way in which our body absorbs those forces and has to take forces that come up from the ground on two limbs and put them into one spine in the middle so with the scoliosis, our spine is leaning off to one side or the other and it corrects itself. But that means that there is a left to right imbalance. One side is compressed more as we come out of the, sac out of the sacrum. So one side of the lumbar spine, the body, those of you that can watch me right now, you can see you know, the spine's leaning off to one side. There's more compression on the one side and there's more stretch on the other. More compression on the one side, more mobility on the other. So we can get, and we can't really predict this. It's the circumstances around that specific injury. We could, in that scenario where the spine's maybe going off to the left-hand side, forming that left-sided scoliosis, as the spine goes off to the left, it's exerting more compression through the left-hand sacroiliac, but more stretch on the right, more mobility on the right. We cannot predict whether it's gonna be a right strain or a left compression injury that is the original injury. And that really doesn't matter a whole deal. It's more important that we understand how to bring back symmetry. So we'll go on to the next points and then we'll come back to this a little bit later. The next one coming from the ground up is going to be leg lengths. If we have a true bony leg length difference, that is going to affect the, the rate and the percentage of the body weight coming up from one limb over the other. Typically speaking, you're going to load bear more through the longer limb because it is going to be the one that pumps up straight away and the, the, the shorter limb is going to kind of dangle a little bit with more mobility. Thirdly, we have our posture. This is a dynamic one. This is kind of different to the previous two because this can be fundamentally um, flexible as we become more aware of it. The big group of people that are very, uh, very prone to this issue, although it can happen in both, uh, both men and women, is ladies that have had children. You typically will adopt a lean onto one hip as you carry your child on the other side, and that causes one the, the, the balance through one of the hips to lock up because you always lean on the same side, so we need more reinforcement of support and stiffness on that side, and the other remains mobile. And over many years, and maybe a number of children, that starts to really set in. And the important thing is those three things will have been with you for a long period of time. The third one, maybe a little bit less time. And the first maybe a, a touch less than the, the second. If you've got a long leg, you've had a long leg, and that's always going to be the case. I would be very cautious with how they are measured, and we've got other videos on that. Specifically, lying down on a plinth and just having a tape measure out is not accurate at all. So be very careful about inferences made from that sort of examination. But fundamentally, those three things that we've discussed, the scoliosis, the leg length, and the posture, all three of those affect the integrity, the function, the stability, the stiffness, the mobility of your hip, your sacroiliac joint, and your lower lumbar spine, specifically the L5-S1.
And when so many of the issues that go around with sacroiliac joint dysfunction or sacroiliac joint injuries cross over in their symptoms between lower back issues predominantly and weakness and issues in the musculature of the hip, it's so impractical to start to or even consider treating this as a sacroiliac joint problem first. We just do not have the control over that joint to be accurate in the way in which we address these issues. So if we think back to that injury, maybe over the years you've been leaning over to one side when you're sat at the desk, you've been standing on one hip, you haven't been doing the necessary strengthening and stability work over the years. You just haven't been taking care of yourself as well as you could do and now all of a sudden you're bending down that one morning you go to put the sock on or take the sock off and boom everything goes and you're convinced it's a sacroiliac joint don't be surprised if other areas are also affected your l5s1 is going to be impacted there your hip mobility and hip strength and stability is also going to be a factor here the fact of the matter is just because the sacroiliac joint tissues strained in this particular scenario maybe those ligaments they're going to start to heal up straight away. They're going to try to go through a normal healing process, but it will be the barriers to recovery that you have set in your body through muscular inefficiencies, through stiffnesses and rigidities, partially because of the muscular inefficiencies, through bad use of the body on a daily basis, excessive sitting. These are the factors that you must address. And it doesn't matter whether it's a sacroiliac joint issue on the left-hand side with some degenerative change or whether it's an L5 disc bulge. Many of those factors are still going to be at play whether it's one or the other, and working to improve those is what really provides a longer-term solution to the problem. Sure, we might have additional complications like things like hypermobility, which mean that ligamentous issues tend to be more, or proclivity to have a problem with the ligaments is more common in those with hypermobility, but that's all the more reason why you should be working on the strength and stability side of things to make sure that you are covering those bases effectively. If you do those sorts of things, then you will have much more success in the long term because sacroiliac joints are one of those, or injuries to those areas, are one of those diagnoses which really do lead patients down a bit of a rabbit hole trying to get that specific thing for that specific joint. Maybe it's a pop or click or whatever it is. And they tend to forget that there are so many tissues that they can interface with and influence above and below. And if you make those steps to address those issues, then you will have much more success in the long term. If you're watching this on one of the podcast platforms or you're watching this on YouTube, then do check out the link in the description because that goes to the full article that we wrote on sacroiliac joint. And at the bottom of there, there are four little steps that are going to help you start to make changes in your sacroiliac joint. Hopefully that's been really, really helpful for you. And it's really been a way of getting you to think again about what exactly is going on in your sacroiliac joint and hopefully giving you a few ideas as to how you can go about fixing it effectively this time. Thanks for watching and we'll see you on the next episode of the Back in Shape podcast.